Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Continuing the Call, a Seminary Dropout's Guide to Discernment. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Mr. Michael Monternock. Michael is currently pursuing a master's degree at Villanova University in Pennsylvania. Before that, he was a seminarian back in his home state of Iowa for about two years. My conversation with Michael revolves around all things discernment. He gives some incredible advice around discerning both the priesthood and preparing for marriage and fatherhood. Um, and really just being open to God's will for our lives. It's one of the best conversations I've had and heard on discernment, uh, so please give it a listen. As always, I ask you to please uh, download and share and um, really just support this podcast in any way so we can keep having awesome conversations like this one. And as always, uh, most importantly, say a prayer for those men and women who are discerning God's will for their life and continue to support vocations. Our church needs them, and the men and women who are discerning need our support, uh, no matter where God's calling them. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mr. Michael Monternach. I hope you enjoy. Well, Michael, thanks so much for for being here. Um, Do you want to share a little bit about who you are and kind of where you're at? Um, Just kind of the 30,000 foot view, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. A little about me. Um, I'm from the Midwest, born and raised there, and have a beautiful, um, supportive family. My parents are, are devout Catholics, and I was raised in that church, in the church. Um, and um, an older sister and two younger siblings, a brother and a, and a sister. And growing up with them was incredible because we were just in this, um, basically this formation in itself, right? The domestic church and the church as a place to learn um, was really something that I got to experience growing up, which of course at the time didn't think of it in that way, but it really was a place um, of just what the family should be, I believe. Um, so growing up in that was such a gift. And I went to Catholic school, discerned into seminary um, out of high school. So I went into seminary out of high school. And then, um, so it was a minor seminary associated with the college and was in seminary there eventually just turned out, um, finished my degree at that college, and then went on to get, attempt to get my master's. <laughs> I say attempt because I'm still in master, uh, in the master's program here now. But that's kind of where I'm at. I'm now on the East Coast um, for school. And yeah, in my uh, young to, to mid-20s here and, and still figuring things out for sure. Nice, man. So how's that transition been from Midwest to Northeast? You can't really get any different, any more different than those two places. It's actually been, it's been extremely different. And I I would say it's caught me off guard a little bit. Um, I haven't, um, I wasn't prepared for the amount of difference. Um, I will say there's, there's great people in in both areas and I feel really blessed regardless. Um, but culturally it's very different. Um, even the word pop, uh, I, I multiple times now I've said, you know, could I have a pop or you want to toss me a pop and people stop and actually stare at me for a second. <laughs> and they're like, where are you from? It's like, oh yeah, that's not the lingo. Um, but besides the lingo, it's also just, um, the, there's a different um, culture around Catholicism. There's a different culture around being social. Um, there's a different, different culture in general. So it's, it's been kind of a, um, just a very abrupt and immediate kind of change where I've had to pick up on something. Are you familiar with the the Midwest wave? No, I'm not. Is this uh, like the secret handshake of the Midwest? Sure. You can call it that. Yeah. So there's this, there's this joke, I, I suppose, um, where you, where when you're driving, you do two fingers up on a steering wheel and um, it's very, I mean, I'm sure they do it throughout the country, but um, in, in the Midwest, it's very commonplace. And one of the first days here, I was walking and I uh, we were, I was like at an intersection and I just, I was crossing the crosswalk and there was a car parked um, and they like waited for me. And so I just gave, like I waved to them because I was like, thank you for waiting or whatever. And they like stared at me um, and it threw me off. And my friend was like, yeah, they they thought you knew them. They thought they like, you, why would you wave to someone unless, you know, they know you. So little things like that. But um, yeah. Although it's been a, a big change, um, it's been really good to be um, exposed to a lot of different things. And it's the people out here have been really, really nice. So feel really, really grateful to have this opportunity, especially with a timeline. I feel like um, having a, a timeline like grad school provides where it's like, OK, when this is done, you know, I know that at least then I'll be able to discern a next step. 
um, kind of give some comfort to the the scariness that is transitions in life, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it brings up kind of my first question for you. And you mentioned the differences, even down to the Catholicism between the Midwest and the Northeast. Um, the Midwest, like Catholicism, and really particular, I think like in the family, kind of that down to earth, like Catholic family roots, usually bigger families. Um, what's that like? What was it like growing up in that? Like, I mean, you mentioned you grew up Catholic, but I guess kind of what was the, you know, I imagine going to mass every Sunday. I mean, did y'all pray at home? Give me kind of that scene of that your parents set up of, of Catholicism in the domestic church. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, so this is the example I, I normally give when people talk about growing up in a, in a family where my parents were devout Catholics. I, I have a memory, um, and it was before we moved. So that's kind of the timeline in my head where I, I know that I was young. I don't know. I was probably like six. I was probably six or five or something like that. And I remember my mom asking if I wanted to pray the rosary. Um, and I, I mean, I, I want sure. Right. Um, whatever. And so five-year-old me or six-year-old me or however old, I know it was before I was seven. So young me um, says yes and doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but my mom just mercifully and lovingly kind of, you know, prays in this way where it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, just messing with the beads and whatever, but I'm, I'm learning in a way. And, and for sure it's a, it's a form of prayer. Um, and I remember thinking like, wow, I am holy. Like we just prayed for like an hour. Like I remember thinking like, wow, I like, that was awesome. But I also now reflecting on it, know that that was probably 15 minutes. I don't even know if my mom made it through it because I was all over the place. But um, to grow up in a culture where that was, you know, that was something that was offered, something that wasn't hidden or something to be ashamed of or embarrassed about, um, but something I was exposed to in a loving, gentle way. Um, and even in obviously an imperfect way, like I, you know, as a little kid thought that that was something that made me you know different or something um i don't even know how to explain it but just being exposed to that was was powerful because at the time in that moment and in that context i didn't know the significance of it but now being able to reflect on it i see the loving um exposure that my parents gave me to the things that are beautiful in church and um so i'm so thankful for that i also think both my parents grew up on what anyone what anyone um from a city would call a farm um that you know there's a different terminology maybe from what a midwesterner would call a farm but um regardless growing up in a, in a family that was given the opportunity is now how i'll word it um to do outside labor was really beautiful um at the time i honestly really disliked it right um but to be able to learn the the goodness in work, I believe John Paul II talks about that, um, where there's like a real humanity in work and what that looks like, um, where we would have to pick up sticks and chop wood and do things that um, were just, yeah, they, they respected the reality that work is a part of life, but it's not, um, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. Right. And there is a, there's authentic work and there's working community, you know, so my my siblings and I were working together when we're doing those things. And then lastly, I'll just say the community I lived in um, growing up and one of the blessings of the Midwest that I is really one of the reasons that I'm thinking I'm, I'll return there. And if I, you know, I'm called to, to marriage, that's where I want to raise a family is what we would do when we were done right? With that manual labor, we'd take the bikes and we'd bike down to the lake and we'd fish with the neighbors. I mean, it's like, I mean, poetic, right? Um, <laughs> but it's awesome. It's, it's so funny. Cause I'm sure anyone listening is like, oh man, that's just like, you know, a little house on the prairie. And like, there's almost this like kind of negative, like interpretation of it. like, oh, that's so quaint, but it's like, no, that it's the dream. Like, <laughs> like it might be quaint, but like, like that's the dream. And, and yeah, like the more I hear yourself and like other people tell these stories, it's like, no, that sounds phenomenal. Um, like, and yeah, and I think you hit on like key points that really now and like studies are coming out about vocations and really about the church and like kind of where the demographics are shifting. And it's like, 
strong two-parent households where both parents are Catholic, um, larger families with, you know, two or more siblings and um, like, yeah, like some kind of understanding of like leisure and, and play and things like that, like are all like key metrics in vocations um, and just like kind of longevity in the church. So it's awesome to hear you like you say it of like, yeah, that's that's the secret. That's the formula of like just a good quality life. Um, so I know I cut you off there, but yeah, yeah, yeah like no, that, no, it's yeah. awesome to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because I would never have known that or articulated it like that, right? Um, but it's just reflecting back on it. It was like there was this certain amount of humility that at the time, that's not even how I would have put it, right? But my parents didn't really, they, they were seeking the good life, right? They were, they were not seeking a life that um, appeared good. And I think there's a huge difference in that. And um, yeah, I just think about the the wisdom of my parents and how blessed I am to grow up in that community. It, it was it was incredible. Um, but yeah, I think there's that. I think also a difference that I've noticed out here um, is Catholicism looks and and again this is a different perspective too. So I just like a disclaimer. Um, I'm I'm here as a young adult, which is like notorious for being um, kind of a dry spot in in um in an individual's life as a as a catholic member um from what i've heard and so i don't mean this in a negative way of where i'm at now um but growing up in the midwest it was something there was something about the community that is kind of necessary in the in the midwest that really i think fostered that catholic community that um so many people long for because there's this natural um, there's, there's both a natural desire to help, but there's also a natural need for it. Right. So with, um, weather, with the, I mean, I, I believe, and I could be totally mistaken here, but I believe, um, generally speaking, Iowa's got an older demographic. So within the church, people who are in need of just help and service in regards to like lawn care and things like that, um, Knights of Columbus and community, things like that, all of those things are not only, I think, provided um, just as they are in most places in the United States, but there's an actual, there's like a, a need for it because of the um, distance between where people live, right? It's more, it's more spread out. Um, so there's like a common meeting place and things like that. And that can happen to be the church. And I think in a way there's like this natural, I wish I could articulate it better, but I think there's a natural ability for the church to be a place of community in the Midwest um, as by default, right? Because of how spread out um, communities are just based on agricultural geography. There is like this meeting place and this communality um, that in the Midwest that I was really, really blessed to experience growing up. And um, I, I think it leads to a sort of Catholicism that has to be lived. Um, I think so what I've experienced to a certain extent so far out here, and again, this isn't an insult, it's just an experience that I've had at this point, is some sort of cultural Catholicism, which is still beautiful. Um, but there is a difficulty for, at times, it to be lived out because of the amount of um, individualistic life that, in some ways, is beautiful out here, for sure. Um, but it's also just part of, I think, city living, right? You you don't necessarily want to have a conversation with the person you're pa passing on the street um, because they probably don't want to be stopped because they're busy in your day and you're busy in theirs. Whereas um, a spread out smaller town has this opportunity and invitation with every interaction where you kind of almost feel an obligation to ask how someone is because you're the only other person in the area yeah and you right. know you're gonna see them again like that same person is going to the same grocery store the same movie theater like you're gonna see them again um, right yeah yeah i've noticed that too so all my family's from new york originally and i still have some family in the city and um anytime i go visit i realize that the churches are it's really that mindset of you know they're great like the availability of the sacraments in the city in the metropolitan areas especially in the northeast are incredible right like you know we're talking five six seven daily masses um you know confessions all through the week and everything 
but in a sense it's that's all you're really getting is like you're getting the sacraments which is fantastic but the parish understanding of community and, and programs and things those seem like really separate um from the parish and they're more of kind of groups or you know in different organizations whereas in the midwest and in texas where i'm at in this kind of more rural sense is yeah the parish is everything it's not only your sacraments but it's like you said it's your community it's where you go it's where you you know have your friends and things um so yeah i think you're definitely highlighting that and especially like you said a young adult the young adult period is that weird in between where it's like hey so you're out of these formalized programs of high school um and out of college um but you're not yet married and have kids so it's like you can't be in like mom's groups or you're not going to be in the parent teacher you know circle um so it is that weird dry spot and then on top of the you know being in a city with you know a million plus people um so yeah it's uh it's rough but it, it's good and it's good to see that you kind of one identifying that because i think that's the huge part of it is sharing that because i guarantee you the guy sitting next to you at mass is thinking the same thing of man i kind of wish i could say hi uh but you know this guy might have to go to whatever meeting after this um so i want to I, I definitely want to circle back to um the northeast and kind of where you're at now and how you're going to respond to that um but first, when was the first time you thought about the priesthood? When was that kind of there? Because I want to see kind of that trajectory, because obviously you, what you're studying now um, is, in a sense, a fruit of that. Um, but where did this all start? What was the first time? How old were you when you were like, yeah, maybe I could do the priesthood thing? Yeah, it was it was at the age of 11. Um, yeah. And when I was 11, I got into altar serving, which uh, there's a lot of I didn't know this at the time, but there's a lot of theological nuances to altar serving and what that, what that purpose is. Right. But, um, when I was altar serving, I just remember, you know, you're, you're, you're in the mystery. You're like right there. And, um, yeah, looking at the, at the Eucharistic prayer or the priest when he's doing the Eucharistic prayer and thinking, um, this is, this is meaningful. And I'm like six feet away from this. What, what is that? Like, how does that, impact me what does that mean and how, could i do that just asking the question of could i do that um and honestly at the time i it gave me a lot of anxiety to think about that um and i was 11 years old but i remember talking to my mom and after mass that day and being you know it was a sunday morning and um i was like mom like you know i thought about this and during mass and like what does that mean i don't know like what I want to be when I grow up. And my mom was like, Michael, you're 11. Like, go play outside. <laughs> go play outside. And um, I think that was really good advice. And she knows me, obviously, my, um, you know, this in the same way with that intimacy that God knows you, right? Your parents are able to steer you because they know you, um, especially when you're young. And um, yeah, just as someone who is an overthinker, anxiety um, induced person, like, I think that was the best advice at the time, right? Just, just go play and allow God to work and that question to continue and rest on your heart. Like, could I do that? And I think that's, that's important too, right? Is discernment is, is a process and, but there's this complexity to it because it's also a choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but regardless, um, that was the first time I, I thought of it. And, um, yeah, as I, as I grew older, um, uh, I was in a high school relationship, um, but that was a question that was continually there. And it was something that I thought I I have to answer that question. Um, otherwise I won't be able to date or discern marriage because I, I just need it. I need to actually know that like I, it's right in front of me. So I need to ask that question. Um, and yeah, so we can talk about that at another time if you want, or I can go into this. Yeah. Now, no, yeah, no, no, go into it because I think that, like, like you said, I mean, I, I love the kind of trajectory you point because it is. It's like the fundamental questions of like, yeah, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Um, mm -hmm. And then I think that key question that you said of like, what if, right? That's like the the bane of every discerner's existence is that question of, man, what if? What if it is that? So yeah, break that down a little bit. So like, yeah, break down the kind of high school drama the interior drama of like do i date do i go to seminary what what's all going on in your head during that yeah for sure um so when in high school um it was something that 
Well, first off, I was very blessed. I had the opportunity to go to Catholic Art Work Camp. Um, and in going to that, for, for those listening, it's, it's basically a mission trip opportunity. And I went as a high schooler. Um, I was invited to go. And honestly, at the time, I went m- largely because I was <laughs> I was in um, baseball, which is my favorite sport. But um, I was in eighth grade and in the in the state of Iowa, eighth grade can play varsity. So I was with like 18 year olds and it was just like this weird, like anxiety inducing thing where I was like five year people five years older than me were, in, you know, in the same practice. And it was like, I don't know, I just was like, I need I, I, I don't know if I'm loving this. So I would like to take a break and this opportunity arose. So I went. And that was actually the opportunity. I think there's a, this is probably a different conversation, but within um, the Catholic church and in, in most things in life, right? There's this, um, you can be inherit, inherited something and that's beautiful. Um, and I was inherited the faith in, in the baptism as a, as a baby. Um, but there's a certain time in your life when you have to accept that it is your responsibility and to, really to be an adult, to be a woman or a man and to accept that gift. Right. And this was that moment for me when I was, um, I was 14 years old, but at that camp, I was like, this, you know, baseball is my favorite sport. It's, it's mostly everything to me at this time. And I gave up this week because I, I needed a break, honestly. And I realized in that during that week that this is what life is about. Um, and I couldn't have articulated it in a very specific way, but I knew that this place where I was going to daily mass doing service and I was uncomfortable was where I had, was the happiest I'd ever been. Um, this place of service, this place of emptying out oneself. And it didn't make sense, but I knew that this is what life was about. Whatever this was, I had found it. Um, and so from there on, I really decided that my high school years were going to be, I mean, I was going to do sports and I, and I had a really good friend group and we we did a lot of the stupid things for better or for worse that high schoolers did. But um, at the same time, I, I felt this comfort and I knew that what life was about at the at the young age of 14, 15, it was Christ and and that was lived in the church. And there was this like this realness to that. So um, and at times that, you know, came into conflict with as most christians i'm assuming experience at any level um came into conflict in friendships and other things in high school right um but at at, uh my sophomore year of high school um i um entered into a relationship with with a girl and it was really the first relationship that i'd ever been in right and um so in some ways um I think it'd be appropriate to call it a glorified friendship. Um, it was, it was, I mean, when you don't necessarily know what discernment is in that regard, but you're just kind of um, aware that that's something people do and you're both trying to be um, good Christians. I think it's an experience that's probably necessary. Right. Um, and so it was really good to experience that. Um, but there was this tension because even in that relationship, um, I had that question. What if, what if, what if, what if? And um, yeah, I remember thinking, you know, m- multiple things. For one, this isn't really fair to her that I'm asking this question um, while in this relationship. Um, and two, what does that, what does that mean um, for the future of this? Like if I have to act, answer this question at some point, um, then this relationship has to end at some point. Um, so like, I'll be completely honest. I don't think I was, you know, at, at, at 16 years old, I don't think I was acting incredibly, um, wise or prudent or necessarily even respecting her heart, um, in the way that I wish I did. Um, but I also think that's just part of the messiness of being 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, um, the, the level of couthness that comes with the 16 year old trying to navigate, um, life's big questions, um, <laughs> varies a little right. bit. So what's good is uh, I'm sure your culpability is diminished a little bit on that one. So that's good. Hope, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. So it's, but, um, yeah, she was incredibly supportive. She's an incredible person and, um, we're friends to this day. 
And um, yeah, I mean, she's striving to be a saint and um, she was incredibly understanding and supportive. And so my junior year, I decided I wasn't going to date because I had to answer that question. So I decided my junior year of high school, really, that I was going to apply to seminary in my senior year. Yeah, there was a couple of times where I had to actively decide um, to, you know, share with um, girls that I, I wasn't. And it's not like they were chasing me by the fly. Let me be very clear. I don't um, know. You're a good looking guy, Michael. I can uh, see it well, happening. I appreciate, that. <laughs> I appreciate that. But it was, it was. And, <laughs> and the irony of it too is like, that makes it worse too. Cause they're like, oh man, he's good looking and loves Jesus. Like that's it. So it's a real thing. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that, but yeah, just to be, just to be clear, definitely not like, um, <laughs> it, this was like crazy occurring thing, but, but there was a couple times where I had to make the conscious decision to this is no, this is something that I have to answer. And I can't, you know, choose what's exciting in this moment. Um, because this is something that I have to answer. So um, my senior year, I reached out to the um, locations director, had a, you know, an, a meeting, really not an interview, just a meeting, um, did went through the, the normal steps, really. Um, and I remember being incredibly uncomfortable in it. Um, honestly, I was incredibly uncomfortable in it. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of anxiety that comes with any big life decision, right? There, there's an anxiousness to asking the girl out on a date. There's an anxiousness to, um, you know, taking a test. There's an anxiousness to anything that will impact your future. So it's not inherently bad to be anxious um, about those things, but it is difficult. So I um, went through the process, entered, and um, yeah, so my first first day of, of college was, I had already been in seminary for, for a week, but honestly, I'd been in formation and under um, spiritual direction and things like that for almost like five or six months. So normally when people ask how long I was in seminary, I say two years. Um, I was in school for three semesters. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a little gray right because by the time i entered i had been in the summer formation i had been doing all those things so um but yeah so i i entered um and there was this that was the first time i recognized a responsibility or a weight on my shoulder that i represent something greater than myself mm -hmm. um i think i probably felt that somewhat in sports growing up like with my last name and things like that like or even academia and other things like you know, I do represent my family. Um, but there was a, a heavier weight, I think, um, to be associated with the church um, for its positive things and its negative things, um, which was a weird cross to have to bear all of a sudden at 18 years old, not really yep. um, yeah. expecting that or knowing that. Um, yeah, so that was a difficulty. Um the other difficulty that I'm incredibly thankful for was community. There was, I think, about 18 guys. I could be wrong on that, but I'm trying to think. Probably maybe a little under that um, in the community. And um, some of them uh, became my best friends. And, and other guys really helped me helped me grow and see the short-sightedness short, uh, and, the, and the ways that I fall short in myself. Yeah, so there was that. And um, my first year, or excuse me, my first semester in seminary was, it was, it was, it was good. It was really challenging, really, really challenging. Um, and I remember coming back my, for the spring and thinking like, yeah, that was, that was very difficult, but um, just give it a year and like continue to, to discern this. And um, that's when COVID hit. <laughs> so uh, things went a little haywire. But it was also at this time, um, and I think this is extremely important to know, uh, or to note, I suppose. It was January, about, about maybe two months before COVID, where um, one of my seminarian brothers invited me to do a daily holy hour. And um, so prior to seminary, I'd gone to daily masses occasionally. Um, but once you're in seminary, you're going to daily mass every day and, um, you know, there's prayer outside of that as well. So 
at this point, I was praying the most that I had ever prayed in my life. Um, and I was genuinely getting to know the intimate heart of Jesus. And um, there was an adoration chapel, 24-hour adoration chapel in my home, or not in my hometown, but in the, the, the town where my seminary was. Um, and let me just say that I'm a huge advocate for 24-hour adoration. I think there's not enough chapels right now and i think that's like a it's a different conversation but there's a need and it wasn't until i started going every day where this surprising desire that really confused me arose to be a, a husband and, and and father um and so i it really startled me. um it was confusing to me because it was the first time that i ever felt like i was called if you do end up getting married and, and being a father like the beauty of that moment of that shift being from because you mentioned it with your high school dating and your relationships of like oh it's just kind of what you do um but now through this experience which seminary led you to um your approach and mindset to marriage and fatherhood is a vocation right in, in the truest sense of like hey you're being called to this and there's a level of intentionality and and you know desire and dedication and passion that comes with that being sent um, that comes through it. So, so I, I know you were about to say that in, in your own terms, um, but yeah, please go ahead and share that because I, I love to hear it. Yeah, um, and no, yeah, you're, you're totally good, and you're you're spot on, right? I um, it was it was this weird thing where it was like, yeah, I I long for this. This feels like what I'm made for. Um, and on top of that, there was this assurance that it this desire that I was not aware of and this this call if I can be so bold to call it a, a call um and I'll get into that maybe later but um was that it was in the moment of my greatest intimacy with with God the the time that I was praying the most and and really like in a place where I felt like I knew my true self um that I was able to experience this right um, I chose Villanova. Currently, I'm going to grad school at, at Villanova, and I, I chose it because it's an Augustinian school. Um, and right, Augustine talks about that. He talks about how the longing for our heart, you know, is is God ultimately, but also God knows our heart better than we know it. Um, I really hope I'm not putting words into Augustine's mouth, but I, I believe that's <laughs> that's what he said. So, um, this idea that to the closer I grow to God, the better I will understand myself and who I'm made to be. Um, it's something that's really reassuring, I think. And so, yeah, so I had, I experienced that. Um, and then COVID hit <clears throat> and I was, you know, FaceTiming my spiritual director. Um, and he was, he was calling for, for slow discernment. Um, cause there's, again, discernment is, is a choice, but, um, prudence is also important. And after experiencing that desire, I was like, I want it. Like, I, I want that. Um, <laughs> like, so, so do I leave? And, you know, he was very, he's a very wise man. And he is, you know, telling me to, to it's, it's good to know that, but to take it slow. Um, so I stayed in seminary um throughout that the rest of that spring and throughout that summer and then entered or not entered but returned in the fall um and i'll be completely honest the fall semester was very i mean it was a not good semester um i was i was longing for to to take a step right i felt like i knew the next step and i wasn't able to take it um, and then attempt to be prudent, um, which was making me rather miserable. And in being miserable, you know, Ig Ignatius of Loyola, is it? Who is it? Who says, uh, yeah, Ignatian spirituality, you know, don't take a, a spiritual step if you're not in a great yep. place. But I wasn't in a great place because I wasn't taking a spiritual step. <laughs> um, so it was a circle. And um, yeah, so I I was white knuckling it for sure. Um and if I could have, if I could go back, I think I would, I would approach that same struggle differently. Um, but nonetheless, that's, that's what I experienced and I learned in that. And so, um, at least in the seminary I was at in the diocese, I 
um, that I call home, we do um, once a semester, we meet with the uh, vocation director um, in, in seminary. And so in December, it was like finals week, I met with the vocation director and he, you know, he asked, how are you? And I, uh, yeah, so this was the end of my third semester in seminary. I shared with him how I was and he stopped me and he said, um, you've used the word fear nine times and we've, we've been together for five minutes. Uh, and he said, you know, that's not a spirit of, that's not, that that's not of the Holy spirit. And he, uh, he said, you know, I think you're not leaving out of fear, perhaps. And I, I want you to, after this meeting, I want you to, you know, take take the week, take two weeks, whatever. It'll be Christmas break. Um, but, but call me and let me know if you're planning on returning to seminary in the, in the spring. Um, and in some ways, I felt like that was the permission that I needed. Yeah. Um, to acknowledge that this wasn't where I was supposed to be at that time. And something else he said to me that I don't think I'll ever forget um, is that there's a lot of good things worth doing that are scary. Most good things in life that are worth doing are scary. And he was saying that in really a way to tell me that I should leave, right? Um, not in like a disciplinary like way, but just in a way like this is where your discernments led you, like have the freedom to go. Yeah. Um, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. Um, because I do think I needed some sort of like acceptance or like assurance that that was okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Talking that real quick, just about that, because I think that that's something that um, unfortunately, like a lot of guys, a lot of men and women feel when they're in formation of like you know. Oh no, what do I do? Like, on one hand, you can't deny the fact that, um, you know, God's calling you out. Um, but it, on the other side, like, you know, you, you don't want to let people down. And then it's like, okay, well, am I really called to something? Because, you know, the priesthood and religious life, it's so good. You know, surely that's where I'm supposed to be. And that's where I'm of most use. Um, talk a little bit about that, kind of what was going through your head of weighing those two things out. Yeah, I think there's a complexity to choosing two goods. Um, and obviously I'm not the first to, to say that, uh, vocation between, not between, but a vocation of marriage or a vocation of, of priesthood is, um, they're two goods that one discerns when they're looking at which one to, to, they're called to. Um, and so you're right. Like there's, I think there's, there should be, I think there ought to be a desire and a recognition that, um, what does the world need? What is good? So then the third question is like, do I go there? Right. And within the priesthood, there is those, the first two are there. Um, is it good? Yes, it's good. Is it beautiful and needed? Yeah, it, it is. There's a need for, for priests. And so, you know, there's a certain, there duty is a real thing. As a Catholic man, duty is a real thing. Um, but you've also been made to be who you are. Um, and your duty is to be who you are and who you've been called to be. Like ultimately, you're at who you're actually called to be, not you know some mediocre like um, settling, but like who you're actually called to be in your fullness. Um, and so there is a humility, I think, honestly, at least that's how I would describe my own experience: a humility to recognize that something may be great but may not be for you. Mm. Um, it may be beautiful in some way; you may even want it. Um, because I think that's something also that I've recognized, like there is a want there. Like I, yeah, of course, like yeah. you'd be crazy to not want to be a priest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, uh, on the, the converse of that too, like, yeah, I think that you talk to any priest, you talk to any religious sister, they'll say the same thing. Like everyone, every, you know, good Catholic man or Catholic woman sh has a desire for a family, has a desire to be a spouse. Um, so yeah, it is that, but like you said, it's like just because it's good and beautiful and true doesn't mean that that's for you. And um, we're not just kind of a utilitarian society, and more importantly, utilitarian church, where it's like, oh, we need more priests. So like, it's not a draft system. It's not you, you, you. It's um, yeah, it's it's who you are. It's you know, is this individual called to that? So yeah, yeah. And and I would say that I think the the crux of my discernment, honestly. And something that I would still consider a, a discernment or a, I mean, just a question that everyone I think needs to face at some point in their life 
maybe that's a bold statement, but I really do think it's the truth, um, is the, the fundamental and first question of who am I? Um, because I think there's also a temptation, like you said, um, you had mentioned how within discernment and leaving, there's also this fear of disappointment, right? Um, which is fair. And it's something that I experienced. I think it's something most people experience, even if in general, their family isn't supportive. Like there's plenty of people in seminary who are courageous people who are in seminary, despite a lack of support. Um, but that still doesn't mean that they don't have a fear for, for other reasons of leaving, especially maybe they're scared that people will take their leaving out of context and assume that, you know, they left for, you know, some negative reason or something like that. Um, but I think if you answer the fundamental question of who am I, and the answer of course is beloved and to know that and to, to, to live that is two different things itself. But regardless, um, that is the first step in discernment in recognizing that if you know that, then you have this um, ability to be who you truly are called to be, yeah. right? If you're, if you recognize that you're beloved, then the idea of choosing a discern or a vocation or, or choosing a decision because of this attempt to earn something or earn the father's love doesn't exist because it's already been given. Right. Um, so I think there's this fundamental need to recognize who am I beloved and who is God a good father. Um, I think there's two things there that are fundamental and something that I wrestle with to this day. I think everyone wrestles with it. Right. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I love it. And, and yeah, everything you're saying is like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that weird situation where it's like, man, everyone should hear this. And it's like this, this weird conundrum of like, you know, you want to go shout at, you know, guys who are in the seminary and say like, Hey, some of you shouldn't be here. But then you also want to go shout at all these guys who are dating, like, Hey, break up with them, go to seminary. Right. Like, <laughs> cause like at the end of the day, like, that's what it is. Like, if you're not asking that question of like, like you said, of, of who am I, um, and who's God and, and where am I called? Um, not only are, you know, you missing out, not only, you know, taking the utilitarian view of like, not only is, is the church missing out and your community missing out, right? Like if you're called to be a priest and you're not being a priest, uh, people are, people are suffering because of that. And, you know, vice versa, if you're, um, you know, just kind of sitting there and, you know, twiddling your thumbs and not going out and, and having, you know, beautiful Catholic families, um, people are missing out. Uh, but more than that, you're missing out, right? Like your individual self, like you are missing out to the call to, sancti to sanctity and to holiness and to adventure um, that comes with a vocation. And I think that that's part of it too, is like, you know, I think so often in discernment, we're afraid to make decisions because it's like, oh, well, you know, what if, what if, what if? Um, but it's also like, hey, no, wherever this goes, when you say yes, um, it's going to be far better for you um, wherever it ends up because it's who you're supposed to be. And like the doors that will open through that are, are much better. Um, so yeah, like you said, just having that confidence that, you know, the God who made us is the God who loves us and calls us to adventure. Um, and that's the God who gives us our vocation, right? So like, it's not like he's going to call you to something that's not going to make you happy. Um, and I think we forget that because it's kind of, you know, this paralysis. Um, so yeah, so so take me through. Um, so you leave seminary, you decide it's not for you. Um, you know, in a sense, the dating world is almost harder than the seminary world um, <laughs> because, you know, it's, you can stand there and say like, hey, I want to be a priest. And, you know, the, the, the path's kind of laid out. Um, not really so in, in dating um, and, you know, not to air all of the, the <laughs> your dating situation, but take me through that. What's it like, you know, now kind of equipped with this desire and this vocation um, to hopefully be a husband, be a father. Where do you start? There's no seminary for that. Um, <laughs> how's that going for you? Um, I would... <laughs> I would say that it's going well. And I would say from an outside secular perspective, everyone would say, I doubt that. Um, <laughs> so, but I can, that's good. Can, that means you're probably in the right position. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. If uh, you're doing right by the church um, and wrong by society, you're probably doing the right thing. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. To, I think there's a, there's, there's a couple things. So you're absolutely right. There's not a, the, there's not a, tarmac right to like take off in the same way that like if you're discerning priesthood like you need to like there's a the step is you know call the vocation director or like do a come and see visit 
or like do something like that, right? Um, and so I think there's two things that are the metaphorical tarmac that you take off um, on when you're trying to discern discern marriage. And these are two, I would say, unformulated or unfinished thoughts that I've, I'm praying with to this day. So um, forgive me. But uh, first off, um, surround yourself with the sacraments. Um, though the reason that I think I was called to seminary is because I couldn't have been the man I'm called to be in marriage unless I had been the person who was formed in seminary. And that formation happened around the sacraments. Um, and so when I left seminary, my biggest fear was um, lessening in my relationship with God, growing away from him. Um, and so the goal that I struggle with to this day, but still attempt to do is um, a daily holy hour and daily mass. Um, if that's provided in seminary um, with tons of obligations, then that's something I should be able to fulfill as a single person um, currently. And maybe that's a bold statement. Um, it's definitely challenging. I definitely fall short. Um, but it's a standard I want to hold myself to because at the very least, that's a standard that I can, if when I don't hit the mark, um, maybe I'll get, you know, to a holy hour or maybe I'll get to daily mass or maybe I'll get, you know, intentional prayer time throughout that day if I don't make the mark, right? The worst that can happen is uh, I still get prayer in um, if I fall short. So um, I think maintaining the relationship with God um, in an intimate way is is necessary. And I think um, doing so allows for a reminder that God is a good father, that he's walking with you, um, that he's he hasn't left you or that, you know, he's not scheming, but that he's walking with you and you're, and you're, you're leaving the seminary was a step where he walked with you and relationship X, Y, or Z, first date X, Y, or Z, um, isn't something where he leaves, but is, is where he's walking with you. Um, and so I think there's that. And then the other thing is, um, yeah, this, and I kind of mentioned it earlier. I don't even know if we were on yet, um, recording yet, but, um, there's this complex, uh, thing with discernment where it takes time and it's, there's prudence. Um, you also have to act. And I think, um, at least for me personally, and I think this is probably a pretty common, um, area where people will fall short is that discernment in marriage um when you discern marriage you discern with someone right so um like right now as a single person i'm preparing for discernment in marriage right i'm trying to grow as an individual um but feeling called to marriage i actually have to ask someone on the date <laughs> right um and i won't know if they're going to be my wife that's why i need to go on a date yeah. um right and so there's this amount of uncertainty that we're invited into um which is unsettling um but i think it's also beautiful because um when done appropriately um you can build friendships you learn more about yourself um and it's also just a really good ability and skill to learn in in words of just like being able to socialize with another person, respect them and see them as, you know, another person who they truly are and as a beloved daughter of God. Um, yeah, I think it's a good practice in and of itself. But I think a lot of times I would say, and again, this is really just from my own perspective and what I see and what I've experienced, but the the hesitancy to go on a date because, well, I don't know if, you know, I'm going to want to date them. That's why you go on that date, right? <laughs> there's There's that hesitancy there. Um, which is difficult, but I think those two things are the tarmac to discerning marriage, um, would be to actively choose to ask people on dates and also to surround yourself with the sacraments. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of where I find myself now currently. Um, I think there's also, I will say, um, sometimes, and this is for me, I, I would assume this is a common and maybe you can speak to this if you're comfortable um sharing it as well but i think there's a temptation so a lot of times in discernment and in culture within catholicism there's um you know oh don't close the door don't close the door mm -hmm. right um and there's wisdom to that so when i left seminary um i was like yeah you know i, I won't close the door 
Um, but something that I've had to think about, you know, the three years since I've been out of seminary too, is in not closing the door in looking in the rear view so often and questioning whether I need to return. Am I ever looking um, in front of me to the girl who's, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to ask on a date or right. And maybe that metaphor is stretched a little bit, but my, yeah. my, my point. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go no, no, no. I think, I think you're, you're right on with it. And, um, you know, thankfully in my weakness and frailty and ignorance, um, I almost missed that. I almost did the exact thing you're, you're warning against. Um, so when I left the seminary, I left fully with the intention of going back. Um, so I left uh, my my formation with the diocese um, fully with the intention of of joining a religious order. Like I, I was convinced that that's where I was called. I had um, discerned that. Um, but in order to switch from diocesan formation to religious formation, you have to usually take a bit of a gap year just to kind of transition out and all of that. Um, and in that meantime is when I reconnected with my my lovely wife. Um, just originally, it was I was going back to the parish to volunteer because um, you know I now have this theology degree, and <laughs> I was like, well, I should probably at least do something with it. Um, so I went back to the parish, and um, lo and behold, um, the the girl that I always um, thought was very pretty in high school and um, would always uh, talk to and always kind of you know say, hey, we should we should date, we should get married. And of course, she was a few years older and wanted nothing to do with me because I was a dumb uh, high school kid um, before I went to seminary. Um, but I went back and she had she was running the program, she was running the youth ministry program. So I ended up being one of her volunteers. Um, and through that, we kind of our relationship started to blossom and, and very quickly. Um, I think her and I both realized like, oh, hey, this is probably what we're called to. I think certainly for her, she was like, hey, this is a guy I could see myself marrying. Um, and but for me, it was like the first time that I had been presented with this reality of like a concrete option of, hey, this this could be your spouse. Um, and I ran from it. Um because I was so, I was like, well, that that's not my plan. That's not what I was supposed to do. I left seminary. I'm supposed to go join the religious order. Um, so I, I told her multiple times, like, hey, this is great. This was like, wow, we were dating. Like, hey, this is great. This is awesome. But I'm going to go be a priest. Um, and luckily, the saint that she is, um, except that lovingly and graciously, um, it didn't fight and said, okay, well, um, if that's not where you're called to be, um, I'm here. Uh, and not in the sense of like, you know, she was d defaulting and saying that, like, there's clearly a timeline, right? If I had gone and 20 years later, picked up the phone and tried to call her, she, she would have said no. Um, but really in that space of just her docility to it um, gave me the space and, and also kind of the, the kick that I needed to be like, you know, to, to go to prayer and have God really yell at me and tell me like, hey, um, I don't care about your plans, right? Like, I know what's going to make you happy. Um, and it's her and you're in, in my case, it was my wife. Um, and obviously now I look back and I'm like that, I'm so grateful for her for leading me to that. And so grateful for God for reminding me of that, of like, Hey, you trusted me to enter seminary. You trusted me to leave seminary. You trusted me to go on a couple of dates with this girl. Now trust me in my call for you to marry her. Um, and the moments that I spent looking in the rear view mirror, I was missing where I was supposed to be. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a beautiful story, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks yeah. One day, that, right? I, one, no, of course, one day I'll, I'll um, get Amanda on here and her, she'll share her side of it, which, um, <laughs> you know, is certainly better because, you know, she can kind of hold my feet to the fire a little bit more and say like, no, I, I was being an idiot. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right with that of like, um, I always say that of like, you know, everyone always asks, oh, what changed, what changed, what changed in formation or like, oh, you were going to be a priest and now you're not. And it's like, in a sense, yes, there is a change, right? It was priesthood. Now it's married life and what you're discerning. But at the core of it, hopefully nothing changes, right? You you went into seminary um, desiring to be a saint, desiring communion with God. You leave seminary desiring to be a saint, desiring communion with God. The only thing that's changed is is the direction that you're taking to do that, but the end goal has not changed. And I think that that's that's the goal, and what we need to remind people of is like, because your route changes doesn't mean your destination has changed. Right. Fundamentally, your your end goal should stay the same. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing, like just when <laughs> your words not mine, when you're calling yourself an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's a grace and like a, a peace in understanding that 
the, the idiots that we are are also the, the same person that God already knew we would be uh, when he created our plan, right? And, I, and that's one of the reasons that I just love Peter, St. Peter, mm-hmm. um, because he, I feel like, is an epi- the epitome of getting confused, lost, going all in, um, but still finding his way back. Um, and there's there's peace to that. Um, at least for me, there's peace for that, especially in, as you said, um, someone who's not at a end um, that's like, um, you know, in the vocation. And then again, vocation in itself isn't really an end, um, but so to speak. But yeah, that's kind of my, um, my I would say, discernment story um, at, the, at the time. Like at this time now, I'm, I'm currently um, trying to prepare myself to be um, a man who can discern marriage and going on first dates and and things like that in the Philadelphia area, and, you know, um, seeing what what God has in store. That's awesome. Real quick um, on that, what are you doing? I guess like how are you preparing? Um, what kind of husband do you want to be? I want to be um, the husband and a man who um, gets his wife and his children to heaven. Yeah, that's the right sentence. No, that's the right answer right there. Um, that's awesome. And no, I think that that's it. And, you know, it's interesting. I obviously have a ton of these conversations and I listen to, you know, <laughs> talks on vocation and discernment ad nauseum. Um, but I got to say that the, the stuff you've shared here, um, it's not only um, unique, obviously it's the same kind of wisdom, but um, the way you phrase it, I think is um, so clear and so concise and you clearly have a heart and a mind um, for discernment. Um, and, and it's awesome to hear. And again, I think the irony of all of these stories that when I talk to people who, you know, were discerning and all that is, um, well, you and I may not be called, um, odds are people who hear our words will be. And mm-hmm. the greatest grace that I think we'll get is when we get to heaven, uh, God willing, um, we'll meet people who said, Hey, I heard you say this one time, or I met somebody who was following your advice and that led me here. Um, and I can honestly say, listening to your talks, I, I know that's going to be the case. Um, whether that's obviously from this <laughs> very small, um, audience that we have here, uh, but more importantly in all of your other ministries, um, yeah, you're leading people to heaven, man. And it's awesome to hear. And, and it's so clear. Um, so keep it up because yeah, one day, whether it is, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Montenach or, you know, Father Michael, who knows, um, whatever it may be, um, you're on the right path, man. And it's awesome to hear. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I just have to applaud the work you're doing. And I think it's, it's wonderful because I mean, the more resources we can, we can create, right. And just support um, individuals who I think oftentimes feel like they're on an island, um, even though they're definitely not. Um, is yeah, it's gonna it's gonna do good for the church and for the world. So, again, just have to applaud you for that. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Hey, we're all in this together, and it's uh, it's awesome to see. Um, last little bit, give me like a couple sentences on give some people some hope that we have a lot of people, a lot of uh, you know students who are out there discerning and going through that rough period of discernment, whether it's for dating or marriage. What's your message of hope to the uh, the people discerning? Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, it would just be a call to remember that God is a good father. Um, and in being a good and loving father, he has your intention, um, your uh, best in mind. And to rest in that um, should be, um, if we're able to truly trust in that, something that only gives us peace. The other, the other piece of advice um, of hope that I would say going forward is to remember that discernment is complex, it's messy, it's um, very um, stressful sometimes, but um, you are not your story. You have your story and it's beautiful and it's a gift, Um, but you've already been claimed um, by God, you're beloved. And um, regardless of the success, the failures, as you perceive them, you, you are in God's plan, you're in his hands, and he's working through you. So refute the lie that you are your failures, or um, that, you know, you are defined by your failings, and accept the reality that, that you are defined by his love only. And in that, you, you know, it only goes up. <laughs> yeah, in no, that, absolutely. 
you'll 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 find him. So, yeah, I love it, man. I love it. You're 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 wise beyond your years for sure. And um, yeah, God bless your parents for for giving you that foundation. Um, we obviously can't overstate that. Um, the gift of our parents or you know those people who build those foundations. But uh, you know you're certainly not letting it go to waste. So I love it, man. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely.